Cut the wood, stack the wood, season the meat, smoke the meat. You ready to eat? 517 BBQ. I hope you like my little poem. Come join us in the drive through or order on your favorite app. Located at 427 East Oakland Ave, Lansing, Michigan. 517 BBQ. Welcome to Grand Kai Gaming. This is your first time here? I'm glad to have you. On this channel, you're going to find tournaments, reviews, gameplay, and so much more. If you find this content valuable, consider subscribing to the channel. Welcome to this ENT podcast featuring Mr. Joe Walker. Thank you all for tuning in. I am the World Heavyweight Champion, Mr. Joe Walker, and welcome to this podcast brought to you by thisent.com. Proven Esports Group, 517 Barbecue, and Grand Kai Gaming. Grand Kai is using his 10 years of sales and marketing experience to help you succeed in your esports and gaming career. He's got some helpful videos on his YouTube channel. Check those out and you can subscribe at Grand Kai Gaming. And also check him out on twitch.com slash Grand Kai Gaming every weekend for his Ultimate Warrior tournaments. He does Rocket League 2 versus 2 loads of fun lots of action if you're interested sign up and again make sure you subscribe and follow him on that channel at twitch.com slash grand kai gaming round the world people care that is a lyric from the song round the world from supergroup world goes round comprised of frank musker marty walsh elizabeth lammers and jeff hall a collective of creatives musicians, producers, writers who formed a group together and now they've caught fire with their hit single Big House, Round the World being their second single and how Big House came to be and how it experienced its success is a very unique and very inspiring story. Joining me at this time on this podcast our members of World Goes Round, Frank Musker and Marty Walsh. How you guys doing? We're doing good. It's so funny. We're in three different places in the world. I still can't get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure you guys can really understand the marvel bizarre, technology. You know, these, these... <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. But, I mean, it is amazing how you can just kind of um, jump into someone's living room on the other side of the planet and it's like they're there. You know, it's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. So I'm, I, I think was, I was very impressed I by think the story you guys. Situated by the lockdown thing as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. Um, it's an interesting story, and um, Marty's the one who set the whole train in motion. So Marty, you should tell the story. Uh, well, um, you know, I, uh, Joe. So anyway, yeah, the way the thing kind of came about was the producer of the project was looking for. Some material to put on his website, and he said, "Hey, do you have a tape of that stuff that we did all those years ago?" And I had a, I said I had a cassette floating around up in the attic, and and I mean this, you know, I, three months went by or something, and I finally went up there and I went, "Oh yeah, that tape. I'm supposed to get that tape and give it to Tommy Bakari." And so I grabbed it and I. I uh, <clears throat> I had to buy a cassette player because my cassette player was b blown, <laughs> and so I pick up this cassette player on eBay and I set it up and I I take this tape and I play it into 
my workstation, and and now I've got a digital copy of it, and I did a little EQ, a little tweaky kind of thing to it, and um, sent it off to Frank and to Tommy, because I had not even spoken with Jeff or Elizabeth in, I don't know, years. I had been in touch with Tommy on Facebook, and I knew, and, and Frank a little bit, but not a heck of a lot. And so anyway, I sent, the, I sent three of the songs to them, which were on this one particular tape, and and uh, you know, I was I was blown away when it started. I was like, "Whoa, this stuff's good!" You know, <laughs> listening to it. And then yeah, I sent it to them, and they were excited. And we go, "We got to find Elizabeth and Jeff," and which we did. And we got them the songs. And then they said, "Well, have you got the rest of the tunes?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I got another tape with the rest of the stuff." And and away we went. You know, Frank took it from there, um, and uh, here we are talking to you. That is that's such a cool story. I mean, it- um, and I've listened to, I've listened to Big House a few different times, and it, it's such a good, it's such a good song. I love, I love the rhythm. I love your melody. I love, I really like your drum tracks. The drum tracks are crazy. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jeff, that's Jeff. He's a, he's a monster. But yeah, the the way that the, the sound quality, considering how old it is, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's remarkable. Tom, you know, Tom, and, and, and honestly, I've been telling engineers you, in the world. Yeah, when we when we talk about it, I go, well, th- it's because Tommy Vacari recorded it and mixed it. I mean, you know, you you can you can find all kind. I got all kinds of tapes that are 30, <laughs> that are thirty years old that don't sound like that. <laughs> you know, it's the Tommy Vacari, the genius of of what you know, what he his knowledge and how he knows how to operate a system like that, and you know. It's amazing. I think the thing that blew me away, Joe, was that I, I heard it. I was in a completely random kind of context. I was in India at the time, and, and uh, suddenly I get an email from Marty, and, and it was so out of context with uh, both his life and my life, and, and the stuff just sounded fresh as a daisy, you know, and I just said, well, this is crazy. You know, why didn't we do anything with this? You know, I think we just kind of left it. We all, we all just kind of got busy and did other things. People ask us why it never came out, and I think the truth of it was we were all so busy doing our stuff, and then World Goes Round was our kind of pet project, you know, it's what we did for fun and for recreation, you know, to get away from the music business and not have A&R men driving us crazy and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and um, to be honest, uh, I hadn't heard the songs in 30 years, and I just, I, I was just completely blown away, and I thought, well, this is too good to sit in a drawer, you know, this is, this is obviously, this means something, the fact that this has come back to life, you know, and it, it really just flowed from there, you know, we, I got in touch with a a friend of mine who has a, a real kind of street-level, um, lovely, funky kind of record label in New York, you know, that mostly does rap and stuff. And I said to him, hey, Jonathan, how do you fancy about putting out a 30-year-old record? And he went, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here we are, you know. And, and uh, the, the, then I, another weird part of the story is that my old writing partner, Dominic King, Bugatti, you know, has become a, a very, he and his wife make fantastic videos. And Dominic hadn't heard the song before. And he, he heard, the, heard the song and he thought, he said, this sounds bang up to date, you know, you just need a great video. So he, he, we talked about the images and stuff because, you know, the kind of stuff that the song talks about is pretty, pretty powerful, you know. Yeah. And um, they put together this amazing video, which to me reinvigorated the whole thing, just gave it a whole new jolt of energy because people are used to seeing visual images when they listen to music now, you know. And um, it's sort of gone from there. We just, everyone's, Kind of the greatest thing of all is that because of Zoom and because of conference calling and the technology we were talking about beforehand, it's all we all live in different places. We all have lives. We all have families. We all have careers. But at the same time, 
it's kind of brought us all back together again, which is, you know, that's the biggest bonus of the lot, you know, is to be friends still after 30 years. It's, it's great fun, and we're having a great time with it all, you know. I'm glad to hear it. I'm having fun getting to know your music, and I I think it's great. Like like you said, it's, it sounds so fresh the first time, you know, I listened to it. I'm like, man, it sounds like this was just recorded. And that, that's 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 awesome. <laughs> well, you know these these are pretty fierce musicians. I have to say, you know, the Jeff and Marty and Elizabeth, you know, and Tommy's an amazing engineer. But these guys are, you know, I mean, I say it as a songwriter. I work with a lot of the really kind of top level musicians in my career, and these guys are right up there with the best of them, and they're also my friends. So heck yeah, you it's do. It's really nice to be making music with them again. You know. Yeah. Okay, so I have to ask you this: after um, learning about you and listening to the songs that I've been able to hear. Um, how much mm -hmm. were you guys influenced by We Are the World? Oh, um, I wouldn't say we were musically influenced by it at all. I mean, that's a great question. I had no one's ever asked me that. I think I, I don't think. Yeah, right. I honestly Good question. Think We Are the World. I hate to say it, but I don't think We Are the World was the most terrific song ever written. But it was one of the most terrific events that ever happened. And I think that that, that sort of you know when Quincy brought together all of those people. Um, and, and sort of replicated what happened with Bob Geldof in England, you know, with, with um, Band-Aid. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was, a, that was the beginning of a kind of revolution. I think, I think that people realized, you know, in a very competitive business, all of these artists, who, you know, most of them, I'm sure their hearts are in the right place. They all want to do good things, you know. Suddenly being given the chance to do something, um, you know, and someone of the stature of Quincy pulling it all together. Who wouldn't who wouldn't want to be a part of that? You know, it's amazing. And Michael Jackson wrote the tune with Lionel Richie. You know, I mean, it's a it's a it's an amazing event. So I wouldn't say that desperately influenced us, but it, it happened around at a time when the world was becoming see certain parts of the world were becoming more aware of what was happening to the planet, mm -hmm. what was happening to our species and and uh, and uh, our environment generally. But it was more personal than that. Um, I won't bore Marty with the story for too long, but I had been traveling in the Amazon. I'd been three or four times. And, and uh, when I came back to L.A. in the late, you know, about 1888, 80, early 89, uh, late 88, something like that, I was shocked because nobody was interested. You know, and here what was happening was that the Amazon was being destroyed at some incredible rate. And we had decided that we were going to make music together. And, and I just got this idea for Big House because... It struck me that here we were in L.A. living it up and everybody was sort of partying and having a nice time and, you know, as if, as if there was nothing wrong. But there was an awful lot that was wrong, you know, and in the last 30 years, it hasn't got better, it's got worse, you know. Yes. So I think we wrote it as a wake-up call, but I don't think we, we... We certainly weren't trying to save the planet or save humanity or anything else. We were just trying to express ourselves as artists. And one of the great things about World Goes Round and the band is that we, were, we are our own... A&R people, you know, if we don't like a song, we don't do it, you know, so that, that kind of creative freedom, if you're, if you're a working session musician or a working songwriter or whatever, working for other people, you don't have that kind of creative freedom, you don't have those, the luxury of being able to write about those things. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful to World Goes Around just for being a platform to be able to express ourselves, you know, yeah. plus doing it musically on a level which is up there without with our, our heroes, you know. I was always envious of, of people like, you know, Peter Gabriel, Don Henley, those those people who could just talk about stuff in their songs that was not just the usual kind of pop fodder, you know. Yeah. So I think creatively it was a massive um, thing for us, you know. Awesome. 
Very true. And also, you know, that, that's, that song would be kind of reminiscent of something like We Are the World, but the rest of the tunes are, um, you know, the subject matter's kind of, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. I mean, the, 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 oh, yeah. the initial song that I heard when I put the tape on with the cassette was a song called Round the World. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pop tune and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat simplistic, but, but it just had an infectious hook and kind of vibe to it. And that was the song that made me go, wow, this is like a hit, you know? And I got all excited about it and sent the stuff out, you know? Yeah, I like but, how it uh, says at the end of the song, how it says around the world. Coming people out care. on the 3rd of, 3rd of July. <laughs> right. It's going to come 3rd out. 3rd of July is the release day? 4th of July weekend. That's our second single. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like that song. Again, I was saying how um, I like how how it says around the world people care, and you see a lot of that happening right now. It's just it's relevant, and the, and the yeah. timing is impeccable. It's like perfect timing for a song like right. that. Right. Yeah. All right, guys. Next question. Well, I figure you know everyone's been through lockdown. It's been this extraordinary moment all over the world. Everybody's been locked away, and suddenly you know it's just starting to ease up a little bit now. There's three months of summer in front of us, and I just thought this is this would be the perfect time to release around the world because you know people want to be they want to forget the fact that things have been so tough you know they want to live and be happy and dream about traveling and going places and doing what they did before you know even though the world will be different but hopefully we'll we'll still be able to do that stuff you know yeah of course all right um what parts of your lives is better because of music Wow. Oh, wow. Woo! <laughs> Joe, you got some serious questions, man. Yeah, these are great, man. This is like, whoa, okay. You got to think about that one for a second. Frank, you want to take it on? I'll try and be brief so you can do your bit as well because, I mean, you're you're right in the middle of it. You know, you you live and breathe music. You're a music professor. You're a session musician. You're a songwriter. You're a band member. You're all these things, so... Uh, you know, for, for me, just personally, music, I fell into it by accident, but it was always the thing that I loved the most from the time I was a kid. I was always in school bands and, and you know, everything that was going. So I never intended to be a songwriter, but as fate would have it, I fell into it with by meeting my old songwriting partner, Dominic. And I think that's one of the things that you just have to kind of follow your nose in life and, and, uh, and accept your your fate and your destiny and, and it turns out that music was my destiny i didn't realize it at the time but um that's what i've been doing for the last i don't know how many decades and uh it's given me an incredible life because it's given me the freedom to have other lives as well as music which i am eternally grateful for you know i love to travel i love to hang out in different places and have different experiences and you know not just to do with the business of music. You know, there's music and then there's the music business, and the music business is a whole other thing, and, you know, it's fine, it's a business like any other, but music itself, I realize now, probably because I'm older and and, uh, not much wiser, that music is fantastic, much more important than I ever thought it was to everybody. You know, it's the soundtrack of everybody's life. I think one of the reasons why people are resonating with World Goes Round and we're getting such a phenomenal reaction from everybody is that they love that period of music. You know, they love the 80s and it's kind of been lost a little bit and now you see young, new artists like Dua Lipa and people like that whose music is completely rooted in the 80s, you know. 
mm-hmm. and um, and they're loving it, and the kids are loving it. So why not? You know, it was a golden age of music. There was some incredible music around. Yes, it was. Um, it was right on that cusp of of the live music scene, the live session scene, and then people going into programming electronic electronically. You know, and we lived through that transition. Um, but I think the real meat of of this is how you make music, and there's no, there's really no substitute for musicians getting together and playing together. You know, that's that's the deal. I think. I mean, that's what Marty does every other week. He shows young kids the, how amazing it is to to play in a band. You know, with people. So I think it's fantastically important, and it's, it's certainly in my life. It's been completely unexpectedly. It's been the most important element of my life for sure, and um, and still is. Keeps you young. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. As far as, um, uh, uh, in my perspective, you know, my father was a musician. My brothers were both in the music business in L.A. When I was coming up, they're older than I am, and I, you know, the goal was was to be in the business and be able to do it and not have to pursue anything else as a career. And fortunately, you know, I mean, growing up, being able to ultimately wind up on some good tours, you know, back when I was in my 20s. I met my wife when I was on the road. I mean, you know, without that gig I did with Seals and Crofts in the 70s, I would have never met her. <laughs> so, so you know, and there's that aspect to it. And then, obviously, you get into the 80s and my session career, and, you know, that was... You know, it was a great time. I was playing on some big stuff. I mean, you know, and with big artists and and hanging with great, you know, big people. And then being able to, you know, continue that in the 90s into the 2000s and winding up teaching at this Berklee College of Music in Boston and working with these young kids that are so motivated. It's like... What's that? I was just going to say, sorry to interrupt, but it is the most prestigious music school in the world. And if you say Berkeley, yeah, it it is. But I mean, you know, without without the music thing, and honestly, look, my father was a musician. That's what he did. He he played gigs. He was a singer, guitar player, and he moved from Chicago to Los Angeles way before I was born and started a little business. You know, the Gene Walsh Trio. And he went out and and did gigs and and you know growing up in that environment and having a father that you see you you know does this makes you go this can be done <laughs> you know and so and so I being able to have that in my life and be kind of the I, I, not necessarily I mean it was a motivating factor but also like wow, do I want to get a nine-to-five job or do I want to actually be able to do music and make a living was an option. It was like it, because, of, because of him and because of my brothers being involved in the music business, it was, it was, just a, it was an option, and I could see that it was going to be the, the option, and, and I'm still, you know, still involved. And, and, and one of the things about having a career in music, I heard a great, um, I listened to a fellow by the name of Bob Lefsetz. I, I'm sure that you have heard his oh, podcast. And, and, and one of the, he said something about, he was talking to somebody, I don't forget who it was, and he said something to the effect of, if you don't, if you stay in the same position in the music industry, you wind up out of the music industry. Like, 
Like, you know, you're, it's a constant evolving, and I had no idea. If, I mean, I have, Berkeley College of Music was so not on my radar when I'm growing up as a musician, but here I am, I'm 16, 17 years into teaching at this school and staying with music and being able to do it. You know, it's great. And the thing about Berkeley is that now with YouTube, everything's up there, you know, so there are sessions that Marty's done with, with young musicians and singers and, you know, players who, you know, had like a, an hour's rehearsal and went to, you know, went into a studio and cut, cut in no time at all unbelievable versions of tracks by Stevie Dan and Joe Cocker and stuff. I mean, it's all on YouTube. It's really interesting stuff. You should see it. Some of these musicians are scary how good they are, and they're so young. Oh, man. You True. mentioned, you mentioned <laughs> in Joe Cocker. Yeah. You mentioned in Joe Cocker, um, it just got my mind spinning. I remember how sad I was when he passed away. My mother used to play his music, and one of her friends was a big fan of Joe Cocker. So he was, you know, his music was part of my life when I was a kid. But it just got me thinking, you know, these musicians and these artists come into the world. They live their lives, and like everyone, you know, we come and we go. And what we leave behind is important. So for each of you, um, tell me about an artist that you know may no longer be with us whose music is still such a huge influence or a part of your life that you look to pass on to someone else well look let me take let me take this one because you're on the joe cocker thing look i've been listening to this mad dogs and englishman album all my life I bought the DVD of, when I found out that it was actually a movie, I bought the DVD and I had this thing on so long, so many, I had this thing on at my house so much, my wife was going, turn the damn thing off, I can't listen anymore, Joe Cocker. <laughs> so a few, year, a, a few years ago, I started thinking, what if I did the music of Joe, what if I did the Mad Dogs and Englishman tour music in a class at Berkeley? So I had a piano player that I said, this kid can play like Leon Russell. And I needed, the, I needed Joe, and I found a singer. I said, he can't sing like Joe, but I bet he could sing these tunes. And I put together the Mad Dogs and the Englishman Ensemble. Seven, what was it, 15 piece band, two drum, just like the tour. Two drummers, bass, guitar, keyboards, six background singers, lead vocal, two horns. And none of these kids knew about, well, some, most of them didn't know what the music was. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm at Berkeley, I know about, you know, these different people, and then they're get, they're, I'm, I found the guitar player, and he goes, he goes, well, I, I know some singers that might want to, you know, check it out. So I would email them a, a, a video clip of Joe doing Honky Tonk Woman from this tour. And all these kids that had never heard of Joe Cocker we're like, what is this music? And 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 they literally, I've done it. I did. I've done it twice. I've done it two semesters, and literally, the students say this is the best class I've had at the college. That's awesome. Because the music was so amazing. And you know, somebody, one of my students said, "Well, can we do a song by?" Uh, uh, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting the name, but a modern, you know, R&B artist. Mm-hmm. I go, hell no. No, we're, this is Joe, man. This is the Joe, this is the Mad Dog. And we're not even doing any other Joe Cocker songs. We're doing Mad Dogs and Englishmen, and that's it. And and so, there's there. And speaking of videos, there are some great videos. I took them in the studio. We did two 
we did Honky Tonk Woman, and we did uh, Space Captain, and then we I did a concert, and there's a whole hour long concert online as well, and 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 I have students coming out of the woodwork contacting me now, going, can I be in it when you do it again? They all want to be part of it because that music. There was something about that Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour and that music. Leon Russell, who's passed away you know, a few years ago, Joe and, you know, some of the other people, Carl Randall, uh, you know, that were in that band. And there was, there's just absolute magic in that music. And so to answer your question, that's, that's it for me, you know. Wow. What a way to honor their Thank legacy you. in their lives. That's awesome. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before I do this, I have to just point, pop in a little factoid here, which is that Tommy told me a few nights ago, we were chatting, and Tommy said that he was on the original Mad Dogs and Englishmen session um, with Joe Cockwell. They did with a little help, my friends, and uh, and all that stuff. He said it was just unbelievable. With Leon Russell and all those guys, and it just it was bonkers. The session was like a circus. You know, there were kids and dogs and amazing, you know. That was the good old days. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Tommy Tommy's got some stories. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But I mean he he has a, a he has a real to real legacy, tape yeah. of those sessions that, that I said, Where's the tape? He goes, It's in my closet somewhere. I go find it. He goes, I got a million tapes in there. I go, Tommy, I'm coming to LA and we're gonna find that tape because that that music's never been released. Those were recording sessions that they did before they went on tour. And so, I mean, although Tommy does say, he says there's a couple of tracks on the live album that he thinks might have been actually the ones that they recorded in the studio, but who knows, you know? Yeah. Anyway, enough about Joe. <laughs> enough about Joe. Um, I, think, I think for me, um, <clears throat> you know, we lost so many great musicians young, too young, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Dennis Joplin, you name it, you know, John Lennon at Ford, who kind of taught me about life, not just about music, but about all sorts of things, about the world, about spirituality, about all these different things. The Beatles took us on this amazing ride when we were kids, and, and when John Lennon died, um, for me, that was kind of the end of, not just the Beatles, but the end of, you know, an amazing human being, and um, I think that we've been somehow or other... You know, the world has been a sadder place without him, to be honest. I think he was an incredible influence uh, on lots of people, whether you liked his music or not. You know, he was an extraordinary character, and he, I think he was the one who galvanized the Beatles into this unit, you know, that, that became so powerful. So I would have to say, for me, it's the Beatles. You know, I mean, obviously, since then, my musical tastes have progressed through jazz and, you know, world music and all sorts of different things. I've become interested in every kind of music, you know, classical music, largely because of because of that, but I also had the great pleasure of, of working with George Martin and even co-writing some things with him. And, and um, before it became fashionable to talk about the Beatles um, kind of story, before the box sets were, were kind of released and everything, I used to have George Martin basically as a sort of captive in my flat in L.A. for about three weeks every night, and we'd come back from the recording sessions and, and we'd have a you know, bottle of red wine between us and... and and he would just talk and play the piano and tell me Beatles stories. And, I mean, it was the most unbelievable revelation. I wish I'd had a tape recorder in my pocket, you know, all the stories he told me about how they managed to make certain records, you know. I mean, just if I can, if I can just briefly tell a quick story. The, the, the most mind-boggling one of all was the story of Strawberry Fields, where he had a tape of 
He had one take, which was in A flat, and another take, which was in A. And this was in the days of four-track analog. This was not digital magic and all this stuff, you know. And John Lennon said to basically informed um, George Martin and Jeff Emmerich, the engineer, as he was leaving the studio. He said, well, I like the front of take, take uh, the, one, the first take, and I like the end of the second take. And George Martin and Jeff Emmerich, basically did the impossible. They stayed in the studio all night, and Jeff Emmerich, with his thumb on the tape, slowing it down, one of the tapes, and then the other tape, very speeding it up, found a place in between the two notes, and that is the, the recording of, of Strawberry. Oh, my gosh. It's two, it's two oh. totally separate takes in two different keys, which somehow or other they managed to splice together. I mean, that is genius. That is genius. That's unbelievable. Yeah, sometimes genius is born out of your limitations. You know, how you overcome your limitations is how you move on to that next level of, of genius, and, and I think that's definitely one of them, you know, for sure. So that would be my answer. Wow. What wow. a story. I didn't. I had no idea. Yeah, I Frankie, I had no idea that you had George Martin at your place for three weeks, man. <laughs> I, did. I, I don't think you ever told me that. My place in, in the late 70s, I was working on a movie, a, a terrible movie called Honky Tonk Freeway, probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and George Martin <laughs> was doing the, the score, and I had to write a few songs for it, and we were the only kind of Brits in the place, and, and we had Skunk Baxter on guitar, and we had, I mean, we had really kind of 18 guys playing the stuff, and the, the score was great, actually. The songs and the score were terrific, but the movie really, really sucked. And, um, <laughs> but George was in town, and he was on his own, and he was staying at a hotel. He had no kind of... So after the sessions were over, he would go home alone. So he would come back to my flat, and my girlfriend and I would cook him dinner, and then she'd go to bed, and George and I would talk till 4 o'clock in the morning about because we were so wired from being in the studio all day, just talk about the beat. Right. I mean, the stories he told me were just, honestly, beyond belief. I mean, it was extraordinary. It was, it was one of the most privileged things. And during that time, we wrote, we wrote a song together called Memories, which I subsequently ended up on an album that I did with Dominic that Arif Martin produced. So I'm very proud of that moment. You know, George was a, George wow. was a great man. Amazing. You know what? I can sit back with you a You learn something Emmerich. about your friends let's, let's, every let's, day. Let's the engineers be forgotten. <laughs> Jeff Emmerich, probably, you know, the yeah, right. greatest engineer right. ever. You know. Right, man. I could just sit back with a bucket of popcorn and just listen to you two talk and trade stories. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot of stories between us. I think that we don't even know. I bet you do. It's really funny when we're putting together the press release for this for this band and Laurie, you know, who's our press person. She was putting together the different biogs, and when each one each of us sent in our biography. She, she got on the phone to me, she said, I don't know how I'm going to put all this in a press release. Between the five of you, you guys have worked with hundreds, literally hundreds of the, of the most amazing people in the world. And, and you don't think about it until you put it all down on a piece of paper, but it is pretty extraordinary. And we've been unbelievably lucky, unbelievably lucky, you know. So yeah. can I say, God bless music, you know. <laughs> yeah, man, I should have gotten me a drink, I'm telling you, and a snack and just sat back and let you two go and, <laughs> and just listen because well, this is so amazing. Questions, man. They were great, really good questions. Yeah, your questions are phenomenal. Like any other questions we've been doing at all, you know. I'm sorry, I've been, you know, I've been a journalist for more than 20 years now and I've been able to do some some pretty cool stuff but I think my stories are inferior. I'm like, I, I couldn't even, I would share a story and you guys would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think. Well, <laughs> I don't you know, know if my old resonates well. True, Joe. But you know what's really great about I'm being a writer and being a musician and stuff, and not and not being a star, is that you get to move in this world of, 
you know, famous people and stuff like that. But you move through the world anonymously, so you can have a life of your own. You don't have paparazzi camped on your doorstep and, and you know, people writing you hate mail on, on online and stuff, you know, because they don't like your last record or something. So, you know, we've been very privileged in different ways, both of us, to be able to, to just be around those kind of people and to learn from them and to, to just see, you know, how amazing... You know, to be working at that top level without having the, any of the real drawbacks of it, which is great. Because I think one of the reasons why a lot of these fabulous people die young is because the pressure is just so intense that they oh yes they just lose it. You know yeah. You know, I mean, going back to Jim Morrison, uh, Michael Hutchins, Jimi Hendrix, you name it. I mean, these people basically were you know just very very bright shining stars who were too young to be able to handle that degree of attention oh, and. Yeah. Um, and, you know, tragically, their lives were cut short and their legacy was cut short. Yeah. And that, that's hard. It's a, it's a, you know, fame is, a, fame is a funny thing. Fame is a bizarre thing. I've always been very wary of... of um, I've, I've met and hung out with a lot of famous people on a very sort of one-to-one kind of human level, but I wouldn't like to live the life that they live mm. too much under the spotlight. That that makes me think of this R&B artist that was out in the in the late 90s by the name of Houston... I guess the pressure of success really yeah. got to him. He had a lot of self-inflicted tragedy. It's 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 tough. Yeah, it can be tough. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's a fierce business anyway. It's it's incredibly competitive, and you know, we we are survivors of the music business probably because we you know we had the the, the luxury of being able to pull away and do do it from a distance to not be in the spotlight. I mean, it's it's quite interesting watching these kind of. Um, you know these shows like X Factor and stuff, where these kids all they want to do is that all they want is, is to be famous. They're not even interested in music. It's basically karaoke. You know, they're just singing other people's songs. Right. But they, the the prime motivation is to be famous. That's the, otherwise they they don't feel that they exist and they cry if they don't make it through to the next round and all this stuff. And you think, for God's sake, you know, what, you know, get a life. Right. That's it's the really, importance of teaching artistry and not fame. For me, music was always music was like my religion growing up. I didn't really believe in anything else, but I did believe in the Beatles. I did believe in Eric Burden and the Animals. You know, I did believe in at that sort of formative age of twelve, thirteen, fourteen, when you're figuring out what it is that you think about things. Mm-hmm. Lucky for me, this extraordinary moment happened where you know I was still in school, and every week a new record would come out, like White a Shade of Pale, and then the next week there'd be Nights in White Satin, and then the next week there'd be Penny Lane, you know, and the next week there'd be, uh, I don't know, and then through the 70s, the same thing, or, or we saw it from a different perspective, because by that time I was a professional songwriter. But growing up, you know, these guys, I have an amazing fondness for these musicians, even if I'd never met them, because precisely because they rewired my head and they showed me the possibilities of what was possible, you know. <clears throat> Yeah, take Woodstock, take any of these festivals, or Live Aid, or Band Aid, or any of those things. They are remarkable events, and it's music that makes that happen. You know. Yes. Uh, I think I think one of the things that because the world has become so insular, and everybody is in their little cubicle with their computer, one of the reasons why live shows now are so so incredibly important and so powerful is because. The kids particularly get out there and they're suddenly having this shared experience with 10,000 or 20,000 other people. And it's mind-blowing mm-hmm. because that's, that's that whole tribal thing that music has, you know. Yes. I remember um, taking, yeah. one of my, taking one, of my, one of my older boys. My oldest son actually went with me to see Earth, Wind & Fire in concert. Ah, and amazing. he was just blown away. 
by how much they sound like their records live. He was like, man, I can't even tell the difference. Yeah. Well, Maurice White's records, I mean, I think the guy really was, genius is a word people throw around too much, but I mean, you know, Maurice White, the, his concept and the way he pulled those records together, I still think September is probably one of the best dance records ever made. Ever. And, you know, forgetting After the Love is Gone and, you know, let's, let's, you know, uh, let's Groove Tonight and all of those amazing hits they had because he brought in kind of Brazilian music and R&B and a bit of show tunes and stuff and put it all together in this incredibly hip way. And his legacy is extraordinary. I mean, I talk about people who are missed. I miss, I miss Maurice White enormously. I mean, I used to listen to his rhythm tracks and kind of try and analyze them because they were so beautifully worked out. They were so perfectly put together. All of those little parts, you know, the little guitar parts, the drum parts, the percussion, the, the, the horns were just off the scale. And I still listen to the, some of those horn lines. I can't believe that human beings played those things, you know. Mm-hmm. In September where they're going, they're playing these 16th note things and you're just thinking, Jesus, can human beings really do that? You know? <laughs> um, no, no technology involved, just guys playing in a room, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Hey, if I can chime in on the earth and burn the fire thing, you know, Allie Willis wrote September. Allie passed away. Oh, yeah. um, uh, gosh, when was it? It was in... Last year. It was late last year. It was, and, and right after the, uh, what was it, the um, the Kennedy Center Honors, I think, was the show mm. that was on. And I saw it, and uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire was being honored. And I'm like, I texted Allie, and I was like, hey, you, you're, you know, September, like, closed the show. You were like, you know, yeah. congratulations. Because, I mean, we would, I did demos with Allie back before I actually started, before I ever played on a record of, wow. of, of substance. I was doing demos at A&M with Allie Willis and a bunch of writers they had there, uh, David Lasley and other people. And we would go, there was a group of musicians, Gary Ferguson, the drummer, had kind of put this band together. And we would go in and we would cut these demos in the small studio at a and for these songwriters so that they could go pitch their, pitch their songs. And um, so I, I had, you know, kept up with Allie over the years, and um, I texted her just a few days before she passed away. I couldn't believe it because, you know, we had this text message thing kind of going back and forth. She goes, yeah, that was great, and there were other tunes in the show, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I played on the original demo of Boogie Wonderland. You can actually find it on my website. You can, there's a blog that I did about my career and, and working with Allie in those days was kind of part of it. But it's funny because we were musicians going, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, better ourselves and, and you know, and we did that song and we listened to the hook and the entire band, we were listening to it going, well, this will never fly. <laughs> what a goofy title. We were like going, Boogie Wonderland, what the hell is this? This is like, man, you know, what, what, you know, really? Boogie Wonderland? Like, we were into Steely Dan. I mean, we were, you know, like, we were, yeah. we were musicians into, like, you know, we thought we were all hip and cool and everything. And the next thing we know, Earth, Wind, and Fire is cutting Boogie Wonderland, and we're, you know, I have a, I have something that I, that I tell people all the time. I say, I'm, you know, I think I think this is right, but I may be wrong because I've been wrong before, and I was certainly wrong about that one. It was, you know, and it's one of the biggest records they ever had, you know, and Allie Willis and John Linton wrote a great piece. And if you listen to the demo and you listen to the master, they're completely, I mean, you know, 
we we had a little version of the of the song, but it was nothing like you know what what Earth, Wind, and Fire wound up with. I mean, mm-hmm. considerably different. You know, what a great story. <laughs> but yeah, there was I tell you, we got a million stories, man. You know. Yeah. I'm glad you can admit that. There was a that. moment during that, talking about that period, though, of working through the, the late 70s and the 80s, you know, there was a moment when, because most of the music was being cut live, um, you know, in studios with, you know, a rhythm section and, uh, you know, kind of on, and there, were, there were proper studio dates where you'd turn up at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning and work for three hours and you'd cut three tunes or something, you know. And that was the kind of the... the the moment I thought when all when all of these kind of musical styles would blend together, you know, you'd have Michael McDonald, you'd have Quincy Jones using Rod Temperton, who was English, you know, you have um, guys from all over the place, you know, Paulina da Costa was Brazilian, uh, you know, you had these incredible musicians who were all from all over who were congregating, and it was like the big university of music, you know, and there were all these live sessions, and for a moment, you know, for a few years, all of the genre kind of flowed together you know you'd have the arm you know they still separated out into categories but basically you'd go into the studio and you'd see the same guys playing or or you know nathan east playing the bass or whatever and they were all you know they they were crossing each other's genre you know nathan east was in eric clapton's band for for years and years and you know there were all these different styles of music but everybody could play everything and everybody would play everything you know and uh, you know, maybe maybe an R and B guy would be just as much into the Beatles as he would be into Earth, Wind, and Fire. You know, it was it was a wonderful kind of leveling moment as well because it, we really thought that that was the way forward. You know, that it was all just going to blend into this wonderful, you know, kind of uh, coffee-colored uh, groove. You know, where everybody yeah. was sort of accepting of everybody else. And unfortunately, it hasn't turned out that way. But I still dream about it. You know, I still think that music's going to be the thing that takes us there eventually. You know. Um, it's it's a it was a really it was an eye opening moment. And my first my first um, horn session in New York was about 1975, and I walked into the studio, and there were all these guys like Lou uh, Soloff and Lou Marini and and, and uh, you know Bill Reichenbach, and, and they were, they were from everywhere. They were from every background. You know, they were Jewish, they were Armenian, they were black, they were white, they were Italian, and and they were from every kind of place. But then you know. As a, as a foreigner, you come in and just say, this is America, this is what America does, because as soon as the red light goes, they're all on, they're so on it, you know, and they're all together like a perfect section, you know, you couldn't put a, put a, a razor blade between them, you know, and, and that kind of level of musicianship, it comes precisely from, from all this cross-fertilization and all these different people playing with one another, you know. I can't understand this, all this stuff about musical... Uh, um, what is it? Cultural appropriation. You know, I mean, the only way you make culture is by cross-fertilizing stuff. You know, if, if, George, if the Beatles had never gone to India, George Harrison would never have discovered the sitar, and half their repertoire wouldn't have existed, you know. So I don't understand this need to categorize things and, and kind of make it, make it all, make it so divided, you know. I love it when people like Prince would use cellos and play a Beatles riff in the middle of an R&B tune, you know. I thought that was, that was, Brilliant. You know, Brilliant. And that's how it should be. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Since you guys mentioned the spotlight earlier, with the spotlight comes comparison. And I know you've you've done your share of interviews now, so I'm gonna go ahead and throw this out here. If you like it, you can keep it. If you don't, you can throw it right back in my face. But has anyone compared you guys okay. to the B fifty twos yet? Well, wow. no, but I mean, it's a great, it's a great comparison. Um, I love the B-52s. I thought they were funky, happening, fun band. You know, they were, they were terrific. I used to love their records. 
Love Shack's one of the great records of all time, I think, you know. Yeah, nobody's brought that one up before. The only thing about the B-52s and us that I would say was, was, was Elizabeth has kind of this, she has a bit of a zany kind of look and kind of vibe about her, you know, that, uh, that, uh, the, uh, the female singers in the B-52s kind of had, you know, their persona. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, that's an interesting comparison. Okay. I like it. Good. I got. I'm glad I was the first. I to throw that I, one back at you. I'm glad I was, I was the first to, to ask that, and then it's, it's not something that's been exhausted. Woo! Thank goodness. Moving on. <laughs> no, definitely the first. There's no doubt. But I've spent many a drunken evening dancing to dancing to Love Shack. So I think that's one of the great <laughs> great party records ever think, made. You know. I think we all yeah, have, especially absolutely. if you especially if you went to college. I mean, everybody is <laughs> spending exactly dancing exactly. to Love Shack. Okay. Um, tell us what we can expect from. Uh, world goes around in the immediate future. Frankie, that's your well, question. Okay, well, um, we we the big house came out on, at the end of May in the beginning of June, and we're still kind of, you know, riding and building that that whole kind of um, wave of of interest that that happened, and um, possibly might be a little bit early to come with another record but i think these days it's not really conflicting whether you have one record out or two records out or five records out you know i think in a way because the album hasn't come out yet it's quite nice to bring out another record quite soon so over the fourth of july weekend we're bringing out around the world which is a different aspect of the band you know it's much lighter it's kind of slightly it's got a slightly you know kind of jackson brown kind of country james taylorish kind of vibe but a bit of prince and a bit of r&b in it as well you know so it's um but mostly, as you as you rightly say, it's got this uplifting chorus, and hopefully the timing is right. So hopefully we'll be able to go on promoting both records through the summer. We've got two killer videos. You know, we've got a great new video for Around the World as well, which which has come out fantastically well. So I think the the broad plan is. I mean, we, we were always Joe. We were always going to follow our noses with this because it's such an unlikely situation and such an unlikely story. We were perfectly prepared for people to say, "Forget it. It's thirty years old," you know. And instead, the reaction has been phenomenal because it's like a time capsule, you know. Yeah. It's so much of its time, this music, and yet it's new because no one's heard it before. Someone, someone asked me whether it was old music or new music, and I said, "Well." It's old music if you wrote it 30 years ago, but it's new music if you just heard it, you know. Absolutely. So, good answer. Good Great answer. Great answer. You know, music is, music is timeless. I, 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 the first time I heard bebop, I didn't think that it was made, you know, 40 years before I, you know, kind of grew, you know, was, got into music. I just thought this is incredible music, you know. Um, and, um, well, anyway, it's sort of, I'm talking too much, Marty. You, get, you, you, you jump in here. <laughs> well, I mean, you're the one that's kind of had, you know, you're the chief, man. You know, you're heading, you're heading the, 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 the project up, so you, you've got more information about, you know, I mean, but I, I will say this, I am in the midst right now of doing guitar overdubs on three more songs that we have kind of, were in various, um, uh, we had various versions of, of three more pieces of music that we wanted to complete so even though we we started out with seven songs that were finished and tommy had mixed them um we've we've uh, to complete an album we've got three more tunes we're working on at the moment um and uh as a matter of fact when i get off this call i'm going to be 
cranking up my acoustic guitar over here in my studio and cutting acoustic guitar tracks for Crank it up. for um, for another piece of music. So, you know, we're still in the midst of actually recording and doing stuff right now, you know, especially with the COVID thing happening. You know, people are all available. I mean, everybody's home. Everybody's, you know, Tommy Vaccari has three films he was supposed to do. One in London, one in New York, and one in L.A., and everything's on the shelf right now because of the COVID thing. So we are blessed to have him available, and he's going, let's do this. I got time. Let's do it now. And so, um, you know, we're, we're completing. The whole, world, the, the whole world had to shut down so the five of us could get back together again, really. That's kind of true. <laughs> true. And a blessing in disguise, man. You just yeah. never know what you'll take advantage of. You just never know how something you can what, what you can take advantage of, how how a situation is gonna benefit you. You just never ever know. Well Jerry, yeah, what are the first things you've done since we started work on these new tunes? And I have to say one of the great benefits and one of the great buzzes from all of this is that, you know, yes it's nice to look back at those those seven tracks that were completed, but we've also got you know, three, four, maybe even five tunes that were kind of in the vaults, which which were not taken up to the same level. And now, because of the prospect of bringing out an album and more singles, uh, you know, in the autumn, we we need a few more tunes. So Marty and Jeff are back in the studio with Tommy, overdubbing on existing tracks that were exactly from the same period and from the same writers and everything. And it's just such a buzz to be involved in in working together again, you know, because it isn't just looking back, it's also what we're doing now. And, I mean, I've I've just heard a rough mix of of a track called Great Talker, which Marty played some guitars on in the last few days, and Jeff Jeff and Tommy have been working on in the studio, just just sort of, you know, bringing it up to to the same level. And it sounds amazing, it sounds wicked, you know, so, so it's like time has stood still. It's nothing, there's no, it's no different for me musically. Um, I have the same faith in everybody's abilities as I did 30 years ago. Um, it's, it's quite an extraordinary thing. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole scenario is just evolving in front of us. We, none of us know exactly where this is going or, or how it's going to pan out. But all I know is that it's great fun to be making music again with these guys, you know. And, um, and I think the results are going to be just as astounding as the first batch. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this. This is by far the most fun I've had in a long time. With That's music. wonderful. <laughs> that is so wonderful. And I do, and I do appreciate what you guys are doing, and the fact that you're here and you're you're bringing this music out finally, and that it sounds so fresh and it's so fun for for my from a personal perspective. The music, the sound of that music, takes me back to when I was little, listening to this music with my big sisters. My sisters are considerably older than I am, but I grew up on that sound <laughs> and watching them enjoy the music and and enjoying the music and enjoying watching them enjoy the music is part of something that you know when i think about it sometimes i hear music from that era and you know you know i find myself fighting back tears because it's and sometimes there are tears of sadness because so much has changed since then and people who are part of our lives are gone now but also tears of joy because of how much i enjoyed being with them and that music during that time it's just it's wonderful man so i appreciate you guys i really do that's a really sweet That's thing great to hear. Thank you so much, man. Very nice sentiment. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. And of course, you know, it's true what saying. Everybody has their own personal soundtrack of their life, you know, where a song will just conjure up a whole period of your life and, or maybe a relationship or an experience or whatever, or even just a feeling, you know. And that's why you, you, you feel yourself move to tears sometimes. That's why filmmakers use songs, because they know that the songs are like triggers to your kind of yeah, nervous it's system. powerful. 
and the people they, they they spark and they evoke all these memories you know man i heard um, foolish heart by thing to be involved in i was i was driving and i heard and i and i, and I, I never have the radio on but i was driving and i had the radio on and it was on um i think i was i have was flipping through Sirius, and i came past um a retro a retro 80s um serious channel and foolish heart by steve perry came on and i swear on everything yeah. i could hear it coming through my grandma's radio and man i cried for about a half hour wow. i kid you not it's <laughs> like yeah, wow it's powerful man. powerful man yeah it is it is powerful and that, and the other <laughs> thing is that songs have this way of allowing you to say things that you can't say in any other way i mean if you took the lyric of you know, to go back to John Lennon, you know, if you took the lyric of Imagine without the music, it sounds so trite and so kind of cliche, but you put it in the context of that song, and, you know, I defy you not to cry by the time you've heard a children's choir singing it, you know, it's it's a very, it's one of those things, it's that beautiful combination of words and music that, that, that just goes straight into your, it's, it's like the trigger to all your emotions and your nervous system, and, you know, I thank, I thank goodness for music, I tell you, it's it's completely sustained me through my life and probably will be for as long as i live you know yes i'm one of the lucky ones you know we're all lucky we are all lucky because music music is great yeah we are i think yeah. it's amazing that we've lived through this extraordinary period this amazing evolution of, of of music that's that's the thing that's really extraordinary this cultural backdrop that we've had every kind of music not just one kind i mean i started off being fanatical about one kind of music but that was the doorway into every kind of music you know Yes, and um, it's a it's a fundamental need. It's almost like a human right, you know. It's something about human beings that they want to get together and make music together, mm -hmm. which is glorious. You know, it's great it, to be a part of that. It is. It, it definitely is. So, Frank, Marty, it's been great. I really enjoyed talking to you guys. I can sit and listen to you guys talk yeah, for for an entire day. I swear I could. I'm telling you, get me get me a couple of drinks, a smoothie, and some popcorn or a snack, some chips and cheese, something. <laughs> We're like going to the movies, man. Uh, like, so let let everybody know yeah, where they can find. Too. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed all your questions. Oh, you're welcome. It made me think. I didn't. I enjoyed asking. I didn't have a prepared answer for any one of them. You know. Hey, that's great. Off the cuff. That's how I like it. That's how I like it. Oh. Uh, yeah. Let everybody that's listening know where they can find you and your music. Yeah, if you if you go to worldgoesround.info, it's all one word, all lowercase, worldgoesround.info, there's a website which has all the information on it, has the whole story, it has pictures from the time, you know, photo sessions from the time, and it has information about upcoming releases and... Um, it's either that or you can go to the Viper Records website, which is also cool, and um, you know it's it's right on top on top of the YouTube channel there, um, and we'll be le releasing the new video very soon as well. So look out for that. But worldgoesround.info. All right. Easy to remember. Very yeah. easy. So again, thank you guys. Greatly appreciate you being guests okay, with me on this podcast. We got to do it again. Let's do it again. Let's plan on doing it again yeah, oh, down yeah. the road. Really enjoyed talking to you. Hey, when you uh, let's pray for a Grammy. <laughs> <laughs>
That's right. I always wanted know. to get to the Grammys, man. You know, maybe we can get there. Hey, maybe, maybe they'll create a category specifically for us, 30-year-old albums that were never released, you know? You know yeah, what? That right, would be, right. dude, that would be right. a heck of a story. Best new artist on an album that was made 30 years ago. Dude, wow. That would be, <laughs> I think that would be the, the funniest thing of all time. I, I would love that. That would be, that would be so amazing. super dope. Yeah. Let's cross our fingers yeah. and pray on that one. We, I want to see that happen. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you, Joe. Thank Appreciate you for being it. part of this podcast. Okay, Bye. Joe. Thank you very much. And Bye, like Joe. Frank said, dude, your questions were amazing. That was just like the most interesting. We've done, I mean, look, everybody's been great with the interviews, but man, some of the questions were like, wow, that's really fascinating. Like, I got to think about this one for a minute. You know, it's good. Really good. Thanks for checking out this ENT podcast. You can find this podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Make sure you visit thisent.com regularly for all things entertainment.